There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. We will continue exploring, discovering new worlds and new civilizations. Welcome to The Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Redshirt Dave, and tonight we'll be discussing Episode 3 of Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. Alright, before we get into this episode, we have some feedback from Episode 2 from Jazz, so let's find out what she thought about the episode. Hello! This is Jazz with my review of Season 3, Episode 2. I had some technical difficulties, so it'll come to you a little later than anticipated. Hopefully you can use it. If not, hopefully you like it. The discovery came through the wormhole, and then there appeared to be an asteroid field that I'm pretty sure was the debris of other ships that exploded when the dilithium went boom. And I thought that it was clever to shoot into the ground to get sort of like a buffer for when you actually did land hard on the ground. I was rather impressed with how the explosion went. And I think the Kayla person who had like a Borg implant on the side of her face got thrown all over the console right over the top. So that was impressive because you don't see that that often. Normally it's just lots of make lots of uh, shaking movements. And I think the TNG group actually had a platform that shook. So that made it a little easier to act that the ship got hit. So let's see. One of the funnier parts I'd like was the medical person said, okay, you'll go back to work if you can spell. My partner brought me out of a coma and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I thought that was great. And the next part, the lieutenant with the Borg implant, Kayla, I think, she seemed discombobulated, which I don't know if a medical scan will capture that. Probably don't have a betazoid on board to figure that stuff out. But so that'll probably come back later as a plot point. I thought the alternate universe commander was awfully bitchy. And she seems to have a higher rank than I would have given her since she was backstabbing in the past. And she seems to be mean on purpose to see if you'll cave or not. And Commander Not looked new. She reminded me of Atalicus, where she has the cheek implants, like, or, or the metal parts that go around the cheek that reminded me of, of, uh, Atalicus from the X-Men. Or, it's either Atalicus or Apocalypse. Anyways, the bad guy wants to kill everybody. Doesn't now or down much, but he shows up every five years. So anyways, Ensign Tilly, you are a wonderful first impression. I thought that was awesome. Along with, I need an engineer I can trust. So, I would definitely pick her too. I wouldn't trust that backstabbing commander in a heartbeat. She seems to enjoy the chaos quite too much. I love the fact that it had an old saloon feel and that the characters had mutton chops, which reminded me of Zathras from Babylon 5. Zathras, look for everything. Zathras, no, not the one, not the one. This is wrong tool. <laughs> Anyways, they didn't act like Zathras, but they looked like him. So I thought that was nice. They called their planet Colony. Their bad guy was called Sara. I thought he had a perfect ending. Let's see. Tully was 
getting the thing fixed. And they said, this is programmable matter. She's like, of course, I was just giving you a test. You pass. I think it's very difficult to get information when you don't realize that the lithium doesn't exist and that the Federation are scattered to the winds because you just got there. I was glad to actually see the alternative captain who now reminds me of a meaner, sneakier Wolverine because she got there on her own with no issues and no pack or anything. Seems like something he would do. And she took out all the bit thugs and with the different weapons that looked like a painful way to die. And I like the fact that the tall captain, whose name escapes me, actually had Jurassic Park-like ear flaps that opened up darts that knocked people off. I thought that was cool. And he broke a few wrists and knocked off a few of his own people. Not as much as the alternative captain did, but still did pretty well. And let's see. Next page. Oh, I love the part where Tilly had actually hit the bad guy over the head with the bottle and said, Sorry, sweetheart. He deserved that. I would have shot him, but I like the fact that he got to go get eaten by the ice, the parasitic kind. Hopefully it goes in his mouth. And one of the colony people had said, Well, you sent her. You were going to send her out to go get the dilithium crystals. Now you get that ending. So that's sort of a more suited and, and justified ending of, I would think, for that kind of a bad guy. I'm sure it will not be quick. And I love the fact that Michael showed up and it was a year later and she was happy to find them. I love the fact that they got beamed out or, or helped out with the tractor beam to get out of the scary ice. And the last comment was essentially, let us begin together. So I really like that theme. So generally, I'm enjoying it very much. I, I like the third season. I think it has a lot more plot points that are easier to keep up with than from what I can tell the other two seasons. I like the snark of the uh, one of the command staff who, who reminds me of a comedian that looks similar to her. I think her name's Tegan. But anyway, she was snarky and kind of mean. I wasn't thrilled about the fact that she called hazmat suit guy here. And he's like, my name's Jean. And she's like, I already forgot. Yeah, you're not so nice. So I, I guess she has a sarcasm as the way she lo- shows love and affection. So she's probably single a lot. So anyways, I enjoyed the series very much and I enjoyed the podcast very much. I always like all the ones that you guys are doing. And it's cold and rainy here, so I'll probably sit down with a cup of hot Earl Grey tea. Thanks. Once again, this is Jazz. Bye. Well, thanks very much, Jazz, for your wonderful <laughs> feedback. Yeah, good old Giorgio is not the nicest of people, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, to say the least. And yeah, we Dave and I had mentioned that it was curious that Discovery had the graviton beam to cause a little softer landing where the Enterprise, a more progressive ship, never ever used anything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Always broke apart. <laughs> Why didn't they think of that? Exactly. And we both agreed that, yeah, something is up with uh, Detmer, the navigationist that flew over her console. Doctor didn't think she had a concussion, so maybe there's something else to that. Yeah, she needs a visit from Rutherford yes. in Lower Decks. <laughs> Absolutely. I loved your references to Babylon 5, X-Men. <laughs> Those were awesome. Yep. And yes, we was not expecting to see Saru use his ganglia for shooting darts <laughs> at people. That yeah, was, I hope we see that again. Yes, I do too. <laughs> Definitely love Tilly hitting Zareth over the head with that bottle and telling him, sorry, sweetheart. And yeah, our engineering specialist, Jet Reno, is very much a snarky old person. <laughs> <laughs> That's Not what's endearing snotty, about her. but close. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, that is the comedian Tig. So you probably do know who that is. (laughs) Well, once again, Jazz, thank you for your wonderful feedback. And we get to hear you again here before the end of the episode. Well, what did you think about episode three, Dave? I think I liked it better uh, the second time around. Okay. <laughs> Oddly enough, that was the same for The Mandalorian. I watched it and I saw the online reaction. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are like tripping over each other. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But, you know, watching the second time around, I, I appreciate it a little more. That helps. Yeah, that's very true. I don't think at first I thought it took a step back from the first two episodes. I'm talking about Discovery. Right. I'm like, yeah, whatever. People of Earth, that's nice. I, I was a little disappointed I didn't see the more of the people of Earth. I can't help but feel, I talked to Steve off air, I mean, before the podcast, that seems something's a little different, you know. We did hear about Terralisium and Michael Burnham's mother, and gosh, and something seems to be a little weird. Even something that Stamets says, it's hard to believe Earth would give up on uh, Federation that fast. Right. That was really pretty much the home planet. Yeah, they started the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. Something's off. Yeah, it really is. You you wouldn't think that even the path that they were on in the 23rd century by the 32nd, that this would have already crashed and burned and doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, it's very possible that they might have uh, slipped into an alternate universe in their Mm. uh, travel through the wormhole. Very possible. I'm going to hang on that one until we find out. Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, you would think that they'd have been able to find Burnham's mom. And, of course, the Federation being gone is something else. Have we had a single Vulcan reference? We yeah. haven't had a Vulcan or Romulan reference. No, we have not talked or heard of some of the greatest ah. civilizations in the universe. I know. Yeah, we'll be interesting to see uh, what happened to those civilizations in this <laughs> future. If, if someone brings up uh, the Romulans and someone goes, who? Yeah. I'll, that'll be a WTF moment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You mean who? The Star Empire, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, shall we get into episode three? Episode three, People of Earth. Reunited with Burnham, Discovery heads to Earth to find out what has happened to the Federation in the last thousand years. And it's not good. (laughs) Guess not. So before picking up where the previous episode left off, People of Earth provides insight as to Michael Burnham's 32nd century journey to locate the Discovery. Taking the form of a personal log, it's Stardate 865211.3, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Burnham's Chronicle reveals that dilithium reserves dried up 700 years after Discovery's departure. The galaxy had failed to develop an alternate warp-capable propulsion system. And the burn ultimately brought the Federation to its knees when it caused all ships with active work cores to detonate. Mm, yeah, Stamets had a problem with that. He's like, what? Yeah, that is impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. Hey, can't they? Uh, I mean, these people have programmable matter. Can't they make their own dilithium? You would think so. Yeah. I mean, they have replicators. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> So, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. The, the lithium's not the power source. It's... <laughs> yeah. I, I Basically, so, a regulator. Yeah. Something's up, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Either that or this is a gigantic plot hole you could drive a starship through. Yeah. <laughs> Tight. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so, working as a courier while attempting to investigate the burn's cause, Burnham 
indicates she has experienced a great deal of personal growth in the time leading up to Discovery's arrival in the future. Do you suppose the writers are introducing this aspect of her uh, on purpose? They, they they hated to see her as, you know, she was, when we first met her, she was labeled as a like a traitor. Yes. You know, she was going to jail. And now she's got personal growth and new hair. Yes. You think they're trying to reshape her character on purpose and making a, a conscious effort for Michael Burnham? I think so. Yeah. I really do. Do you think that is because they didn't like how it started off, perhaps? No, Maybe I really they- think it's more of they wanted to see her grow even more and kind of give her some layers that she didn't have before. Because before, you know, she in the last couple seasons, she's still been pretty Vulcan-ish in oh, that was- actions and everything. And I think uh- this is bring- bringing out some of her humanity. Like mm. it with Spock. Yeah, yeah, true. And we get a joyously tearful reunion between Burnham and her crew turned family. And of course, <laughs> Giorgio's stern glance at Michael is something else. <laughs> yeah, she was a little more emotional when she saw her at the end of the previous episode. Her, yeah. you know, her lips parted. You could take, see her take a breath. That's about as, as much as you can get out of her. Yes. <laughs> Of course, Burnham briefs everyone on the burn and the millions who died, divulging that she located a transmission sent by Admiral Sinatal, which invites those who still believe in the Federation to visit Earth. Mm. Yes. Come see me. I'm not what you expected. (laughs) (laughs) So it was Detmer, right, that asked how many died, right? Yes. Should we be reading into something to that? She seems awfully curious about that, how many, and Burnham just says millions. Right. I wonder, though. I do think that we see in this episode, a little later on, when Burnham and Tilly gets to spend some time together, that it's hit Tilly pretty hard, too, because she basically tells her. Yeah. Everybody I know and love has went on with their lives and are dead long ago. Centuries ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it really is. And that could be Detmer's problem as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. Think she's so. Yeah, I, I think, think I think we're we're supposed to know that she's acting strange. It just seemed to me we should remember that question too, as as part of her str- acting strangeness. Right. But I think we're going to get a lot more of the crew really having troubles coming to grips with where they're at. Yeah. Because yeah, like I said. Everybody they knew is long since gone. They find out in this episode the Federation is gone. Yeah, that's got to shake a person's to their core. I know. Just kind of like what we're going through in this (laughs) damned year. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Oh, boy. I just bought a bottle of wine that says, the year 2020 sucks. (laughs) I couldn't resist it. I had to buy it. Yeah, that's for sure. I'll drink to that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You know what? Speaking of long-awaited moments, Burnham selflessly expresses her support for Sru to officially take over Discovery's new captain. What else does he need to do? Right. Really, He he is a little touchy-feeling, and it keeps referring to everyone as a family, maybe as a Kelpian. Right. That's part of it. I know, but... uh, it's a good leadership quality, even though he had to bark at Detmer a couple of times. But the main point is, Michael takes the chair. Even She even turned the chair towards him and says, it's all yours, baby. <laughs> now, it was interesting that she knew Saru wanted to have a discussion over this. And she wasn't even going to give him the chance to talk her into it. Yeah, yeah. That's always been one of the main premise of the show, that uh, our lead character isn't the captain. Right. Pretty close, though. the first time we've had a non-human captain 
Yeah. Wow. This this show is definitely going where no man, woman, child, dog has gone before. <laughs> cat. <laughs> cat. <laughs> yeah, that's right, cat. <laughs> Queen. <laughs> like as Steve was referring to in a private moment, Tilly mourns the pers- personnel that Discovery lost and pondered the lives of her family and pursued. When she was gone, her best friends managed to establish a new universal constant. Cake is eternal. As you reconnect and reminisce. <laughs> Definitely get to see that there's difference in Michael in this moment because, yeah, it's been a year and she loves the discovery and the crew. But at one point, you got to let it go until he actually realized yeah. that, yes, Michael had let them go, which was Excuse kind me. of crushing to her. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a little, uh, Crushing. She's very sensitive, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like I know it's only been a year. Come on, man. Speaking of people that are either been embraced or let go, Giorgio welcomes Booker aboard with the demeanor of a parent scrutinizing their child's new partner. And yeah, man, this is one of her better episodes. So you want to date my daughter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that. Yeah, I know. No, it really isn't. (laughs) Booker says, uh, yeah, she warned me about you. And then next thing you know, he's stumbling in his response to her. He says, hey, no, you don't. I see what you're doing to me. (laughs) And uh, we also find out that Burnham convinces the courier, Booker, to join Discovery on a sport jump to Earth, which is good. I'm like, I had to leave that character behind. I mean, when's he going to take his shirt off for us? But you managed to do again. I love his reaction to the spore jump. It was like, what? The? Yeah, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Bleep. Not everyone is still on board with Buck as Saru voices his doubts about trusting him. Yet, he shows enough faith in his friend by agreeing to let the, the Nautilus dock to Discovery's main hangar so they can cloak the Starfleet vessel's valuable dilithium supply. Good move. Yes, absolutely a good move. And the move pays off as Captain Ndoye of the United Earth Defense Force, I need that t-shirt too, yes. greets the crew with a suspicion once they arrive at home. That was a little disappointing too, though. I was I was looking forward to Earth in like cold and distance and only a captain, what, not an admiral right. to get on board or an ambassador? That was kind of strange. You think that was strange? I, I don't know. Maybe it's me. You anyway. You think that the United Earth Defense Force would have something higher than a captain, but... Yeah. And she seemed to speak for Earth, too. Yes. Absolutely. I was, what? I'm like, what is going on on that planet? Exactly. Anyway, uh, Discovery Conceal is true Orange, and uh, Saru reacts with a surprise when Ndoi beams an inspection team over to sh- ensure that ship is not a threat. I mean, they just boom to board, boom, 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 boom. They're like popcorn kernels popping. They were appearing yes. all over the place. I like Stamets like, hey! Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? What is this? I was curious about the tech Earth would have, and this one guy, I don't know, was he Lieutenant Jerk? <laughs> He's got the little thing that pops open his hands, and then things start going all over the place like fireflies, and Stamets has to dodge one, and then he goes into Stamets' little chamber there yeah, for the cool. spore drive, and the guy, what did the guy say to him? Like, back off or get out or stand back and like tell me to stand back (laughs) good grief yeah so everyone has a low rank on future earth and they're they're cold and rude absolutely (laughs) now i thought it was great that saru was able to think as quickly as he was on his feet by saying oh yeah well we were on a deep space generational ships and you go yeah i would have looked as askance at that too though right <laughs> really <laughs> what do you think we're children here <laughs> yeah. ah, deep space we're back baby mm. 
Yeah. Anyway, nothing in your law in your records between what twenty two. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they should be able to scan everything. So Brenda reflects on her past adventures with Book and Grudge while she works to disguise the courier as a Starfleet lieutenant. Book's incorrect use of the phrase "II" harkens back to a similar mistake by Sam Lavelle in the Next Generation episode Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah, II. Yeah, we're not pirates, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always astute observer, Giorgio recognizes that Michael's time in the 32nd century has changed the science ops more than her colleagues realize. Really? You know, I thought this, like, you found yourself a boyfriend, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was what I thought she was going for, was she was trying to get Burnham to admit that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This sex is great. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Giorgio likes to be replaced, but still, she had her personal... Um, what a shields and around her her uh, adopted daughter. Right. I like that dynamic. Yep. So Doye informs Saru that dilithium raiders plagued local space before disclosing a painful truth that Earth is no longer part of the Federation. The notion that Earth, one of the organization's founding members in Starfleet's longtime headquarters, no longer counts itself among the coalition that Captain Jonathan Archer helped forge in the 22nd century is Daggering. Yeah, sharp-eyed observers noticed the flag in, in the uh, a lot of the teasers before the season started that there was missing a missing star right. on the flag. Right. Yeah, Earth. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Meanwhile, Stamets and Tilly deal with Nadoye's inspectors and are introduced to Adira, a brilliant 16-year-old with a very inquisitive <laughs> mind. <laughs> And we get a red alert due to Wynn, a raider whose appearance resembles a mechanical insect, shows up and demands that Discovery hand over its dilithium. Yeah, he was that was a familiar face. Uh, Christopher Heyerdahl. Yes, it was so yeah. great to see him in yeah. Star Trek. And he finally got his hel helmet off. He didn't look that good. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looked kind of like the fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, Nadoye readies for combat, but Saru stresses diplomacy. At Starfleet. Yep, and actually moves the discovery into the way of any, what was it, plasma torpedoes? Yeah. Shot at uh, Book's ship. That's brave, but boy, and <laughs> they only get that one shot. Yes, and the shields go down, you go, oh, we got some problems here. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, Burnham and Book have come back with bad guy in hand. Yep, what we thought was the bad guy. Yes. <laughs> so they definitely pulled off a good trick. They had offered him to give up all the dilithium, and of course, to do that, he had to lower his shield, so of course, they just beamed in, snagged him, and beamed out, apparently. <laughs> Sucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he should have known. Well, he should have seen that one coming. Yes. Come on, man. <laughs> 30 what is it in 33rd century now or something like yeah. that come on dude you're the raider how can you fall for a trick like that i guess it, it's a measure of how desperate they had become the people on titan right what, what a shame you know when they first entered uh when discovery first entered the solar system well they said we should come in out of range of earth's sensors right <laughs> like that's it saturn yeah is the length is the only you can come in on saturn uh, you should yeah. be able to do that why don't they have an outpost on like pluto or something <laughs> what the heck is going on here anyway my turn saru and burnham bring Endoye and wen together yay where we learned that the helmeted raiders actually 
human from a research colony on Titan was split from Earth a hundred years before. Man, a lot of a lot of stuff happened in a hundred years. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was Saru great. Bro- that uh, Giorgio just said diplomacy takes too long. Oh, she is something. She <laughs> kicks him in the back of the leg, rips, rips his helmet, and, and then hands it <laughs> to Michael. Here you go, hold this. And everyone's like gasping, you're human? Yes, yeah. I'm human. So Saru brokers a truce between the two parties, evoking memories of Archer's efforts to unite Vulcans, Andorans, and Tellarites in the 2150s. I remember those days, too. That guy is true true Blue Federation Starfleet. And uh, there's more surprises continue when Stamets learns that Adira hopes to discover how to, to destroy. Yeah, he just score. He just discovers she wants to join Discovery. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> At least he. Uh, I thought they would get someone else, but they got Stamets to stand up to her. Do you think he'd make like the good father figure or parent, something oh, like absolutely. that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why they chose Stamets to ha- deal with her. Was that makes the perfect foil for her? Even yeah. though most people are going, what? No way! Stamets yeah. is this crouchy old guy. No. Yes, he, he was a little bemused, amused. He always had that slight smile on his face when he was addressing her. Like, you, listen, young thing. Yes. I know you're a friggin' super genius, but, but still, you're a kid to me. Yeah. <laughs> He's an astromycologist. And he he also managed to gain the inspector trust by telling the teenager all about the sport drive and the ship expedition through time. Man, that was a, quite the information dump on her. I guess it was the maneuver designed to gain her trust right away. I mean, if you're going to be that smart, you better lay your cards on the table. Yes. Because she's going to figure it out yeah, one yes. way or another. <laughs> Only a matter of time. And hers, with her, it'd be second. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you if you can argue around her intellect, there's still th- that youngster there. So maybe that was his uh, plan. And despite being human, Adira is Senatal, having been joined with Admiral's Trill Symbiote. Aha. And moving on to Saru, he decks out his ready room with Captain Giorgio's telescope, and Burnham formally accepts the Kleppian's offer for her to be number one, which is quite fitting, given that this episode is directed by Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> I saw a picture on Twitter that Jonathan Frakes posted the day the episode was released, and it showed Tilly with his arm around him. Yes. Yeah, I guess they really are family. Maybe that's why Saru is always referring to it, because he's taking a cue from Frakes and like, ah, one big happy family. Absolutely. It's nice. Also, Tilly and the bridge crew pay a heartfelt visit to the tree, the former grounds of Starfleet Academy. Former grounds. Ugh, tough to take. Yes, it was. Good grief. The scene is perhaps intended to leave us wondering if this is the Boothby's prize elm that Jean-Luc Picard uh, once carved his lover's initial into. It has to be. It has to be. (laughs) I took it that that it was, and as soon as they came down and saw the tree, I went, Boothby! (laughs) Yeah, until he goes, it's so much bigger. At least Earth is taking care of its environment in the future, and the the trees are taken care of. Taken care of. Yes, apparently so. Which yeah. is surprising, seeing <laughs> we're at where we're at where we're at today. <laughs> I know there is hope. Yes. Oh, Steve, you want to get into a few Easter eggs and Boomer talk? I got some Boomer Let's talk for you. Babe. Do it. Babe. All right. All right. Here's our first Easter egg. This is the first episode or film to use a six-digit star date, not including the decimal. Wow. Now I feel old. Thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The first three digits, 865, are more or less consistent with the Stardate system based on Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and even Lower Decks. And we mentioned Paul Stamps before. Paul Stamps confirms to Adira that Discovery and her crew left from the year 2258. This means that the latter part of Season 2 takes place at the same as the Star Trek in the alternate reality. 
Ha! Yeah. And episode director Jonathan Frakes played a human hosting a Trill symbiote like Adira is revealed to be in The Host. Plenty of source material. Yes, but that was very temporary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Apparently Adira's, even though she's not able to pull up memories... Yeah. It's interesting that humans are now able to host trills. So I'm wondering, they want her aboard. She wants to be aboard. So she's going to have, no pun, their own voyage of discovery. So to, to reach into her, her memories, there's got to be a way. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have to. I mean, I think it's her and Stamets. They're going to be buddies. Very true. Yeah. Okay. As we continue, as of 2367s, humans cannot serve as hosted trill symbiotes for more than a short period. That has apparently changed by 3189, though Adira's difficulty assessing Tell's memories couldn't indicate that joining is still unstable. Hmm. Maybe they'll hook her up to the spore drive? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she seems beyond curious for that. Yeah. Where's a Vulcan when you need one? <laughs> mm, I know. Uh, we also maybe learned that Burnham still could do it. Yeah, maybe. The burn is further clarified, by the way. A dilithium just didn't explode outright. Yeah, that was interesting. Yes. Rather, all of it went inert at once, and anything using it to regulate the matter antimatter reaction immediately exploded because the reaction was suddenly unregulated. Huh. Makes a whole lot more sense now. <laughs> yeah, understandably, this meant a pretty much every warp capable vessel with their warp core online. Even an idle state blew up. Ouch. So I think we learned that Book's ship can be reconfigured. It was able to compress to fit into the shuttle bay. That's weird. Yes, that was awesome to see it moving in a little bit. And you go, what the hell? Yeah, because last week when it came to the rescue, it was, a lar- it was identified as a large ship. And I'm like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when they had a, a tractor beam big enough to pull uh, Discovery out of the parasitic ice. Hmm. And now oh, it can shrink down to get into the shuttle bay. Wow. Mm. <laughs> Programmable matter, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it has to be. I guess. We did learn that even though Book's name is Cleveland, he's not from Earth, and he's never been there. So where did they get Cleveland? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that story, too. Uh, oh, speaking of names, Book says again that his cat Grudge is a queen. <laughs> Oh, there was a little Easter egg there where Killy mentions the Gateway Arch. Wow. Gateway Arch in St. Louis is as eternal as the uh, pyramids on Giza? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> there was a, maybe this is a little boomer talk. There was a, I think it might have been an Arthur C. Clarke story about two Earths. And I guess Earth was being invaded, so they created two. But there was also some Earth astronauts outside, and they had to decide which Earth to go to while the alien invaders were behind them. They can only let one go through, but if you go through the wrong one, you're gone. Right. So the duplicate Earth, it it was revealed at the end that the astronauts, Earth astronauts, identified the right Earth because they failed to replicate the Great Wall of China. (laughs) And they scanned the Earth and like, well, there's no Great Wall on this one, so I think we found the right one. Right. Oh, the EDF ships use quantum Torpedoes, yes. Earth defense ships, quantum torpedoes. I noticed a couple of things. Also, title of the episode, People of Earth. Yeah. That's from, uh, that was a quote from 1956. Now, here's a boomer talk for you. Yes. <laughs> that was from the movie Earth versus the Flying Saucers. I remember that movie. I've seen it like a late afternoon in a movie show they used to have growing up. It's a little corny. Yeah. But the quote goes like this. People of Earth. That's my alien voice, Steve. People of Earth. Attention. This is a voice speaking to you from a thousand miles beyond your planet. Look to your son for a warning. I have to say, I don't know. I don't remember what the warning was. Maybe, right. the, maybe the sun blinked or something like that. 
Hey, you know what? I speaking of boomer talk, I did cut kind of an Adams family type of feel to this. Uh, uh, Gomez Adams was always telling his wife to talk French to me because it was a turn on. Yeah. <laughs> for him, he's like, speak French to me, and uh, book was like, I like it when you talk monosyllabic. <laughs> <laughs> He looked like it was a turn on for him. Like, really? And she did it again in more in uh, warning when and his people. And he he looks at her and goes, he did it again. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself, you like that, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess he, he does. Likes it when, he likes it when she talks science. <laughs> yeah, really. I guess that wraps up that boomer segment. All right. Well, that leads us into feedback. And we do have some for episode three. Let's All right. start with our friend Fred from... The Netherlands. So let's hear what he has to say. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3. Beautiful episode, especially visuals, the close-ups and music. A lot of slow talking, I don't know how to say it differently, emotional discussions between almost everybody. Between George Yu and Michael, between Saru and Michael, between Book and Michael, between Tilly and Michael. On the other hand, perhaps a little bit too much of that. I was wondering last podcast what we would uh, experience from Michael's past in the in the last year. And here we got some answers. So what they do is they use just teasing between Booker and, and Michael and all kinds of adventures that they had together were referenced, although we only half know what they did together. But it shows a kind of in- intimacy they had in probably not love relationship or sexual, but at least as big, big buddies, kind of buddies in crime. Of course, a nice twist that these raiders were actually also humans. And that talking always helps. Stamets is making a connection to this Earth girl with the Trill symbiont. I wonder what his relationship with her will be. Will it be the same as with Tilly? And how will this influence the relationship between Tilly uh, and this girl? Or will this intervene in the relationship between Tilly and Stamets? That there will be a kind of jealousy, perhaps even. Okay, that was a very short feedback. All for now. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Good point, Fred. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had just wondered if uh, Stamets was going to be the one that brought Adira out, you know, and had but what's going to happen with uh, Tilly? Good point. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, there was quite a bit of exposition, but I don't think it was way over the top. I mean, there was some action, just not as much action as we've seen in the first two episodes. <laughs> right. And, yeah, I do think that we didn't really get a whole lot of information on Michael's year, and hopefully they'll sprinkle in some as we go. I mean, her just taking book and <laughs> taking the dilithium and heading out was, that had to give Saru a pause, and, you know, they do mention it there when she takes his offer as being number one, mm. which was definitely <laughs> in doubt, I would say. Up until that point, because, you know, she actually tells Saru, hey, I've changed and I'm not the same. <laughs> Except she's still screwing around with him. I have a plan and I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Fred, thank you for your feedback. Looking forward to hearing from you again. And please stay safe. Going to be tough with your son being there with COVID. But if I know you like I do, you will be able to get through this without catching it. So. 
All our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family, Fred. I would say the force is with you, but uh, kind of wrong, wrong one. That's the other property. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're thinking of you, Fred. Absolutely. We also got some feedback from Jazz. Let's hear what she has to think about episode three. Hello, this is Jazz, and this is my review of Discovery's third episode. I loved that Book loves his kitty very much, and the kitty would not give him the time of day when he had a broken nose, but still loves him anyways, since he was chilling next to him by his console. I love kitties and doggo. I like that Michael is problem-solving and thinking outside of the box these days. And I love that Starfleet played a role as peace officer and got two sides to talk, especially since they both turned out to be on the same side. And I'm not surprised that one side decided to take what they needed when they sent a help vessel out and that got blown up. That pretty much tells you all you need to know. And I love that Starfleet is needed still to find a better way to solve issues rather than isolationism and firepower. Communication can solve a lot of issues. I echoed that Michael looked sad, and I look sad also seeing Book uh, walk away in his ship. I also would have missed the kitty. But I don't think it's the last that we've seen of Book. I love that there was a huge tree of life that was still at the Starfleet Academy and gave those thrown 500 years into the future solace that it was still there and it only changed for the better by getting big. The new trill should be very interesting as part of the crew in a human form. Uh, so it should be very cool. It reminded me of Stargate, where a trill-like worm was placed inside Sam's father since he had cancer and he was going to die anyways. So it turned out to be good for them both because they both survived. Oh, and he was human. So it's it's not unprecedented in the sci-fi world. Uh, let's see. I love that <laughs> that Tilly said, five more minutes, Dad, when she wanted more time with the tree. And she didn't really say Dad, but that was implied. And that was granted. And I love that. It's a feel-good series that I really need and appreciate these days. I also love that there's more diversity on the show than your typical show. There's not just one type of person on there. There's Asians and Hispanics and more than one black person on the ship. Normally, it's check the box. Granted, it's cool they're there, but still, it's normally just one of each. And I really love the fact that Tilly and Michael get along well and they had their chat. And I love the fact that Tilly is very positive still. It gives me hope for the future in the future. And let's see. Oh, I also love that book adds humor and a different way of thinking to the way that Michael thinks. And I think Sean would also enjoy the series too. So far, I have not felt neglected by not seeing the other two series, season one and two. So I I think it's uh, pretty good to catch up. Just watch a couple of two-minute YouTube videos, but really, it's it's all good. You could listen to the podcast and probably be caught up. Anyways, I love the podcast. I love all the viewpoints. I think you guys are awesome. And that concludes my short review. Thanks. Once again, this is Jazz. Thanks, Jazz. You're pretty awesome yourself. <laughs> yeah, all that jazz. Yeah. We definitely need more of Grudge. We've got to find out what it's all about and find out if it's more than a cat or not. <laughs> yeah, shapeshifter. I like, I think Jazz was getting to the point that I was thinking of that like Star Trek and Discovery and family and seeing each other again. Is it st uh, Star Trek is like comfort food. Oh, absolutely. It's good for you. Every once yes. in a while you have to have it and you feel better about everything. Yes. And especially this season of Discovery, it's been that. Yeah. Because we all need some of that, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was great to see the Discovery immediately go into Starfleet mode and become the peacekeeper instead of shooting first 
yeah. like the Earth would. How could you past. forget that Earth? Yeah, well, how could you? How could you let that go? Come on, Earth. Exactly. Yeah, the huge tree was great. And Tilly wanting five more minutes—that was awesome as well. She hugged it. Yes. <laughs> and Discovery's pretty. I mean, Mall Star Trek has usually been very good at being very diverse in their cast, and that's always been one of their strong points. Is they don't yes. just check the boxes. They're very much into making sure everyone is treated as equals. That's what the future should be. Yes, it is. So once again, Jazz, thank you for your wonderful feedback and looking forward to hearing from you again. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season and looking forward to interacting with you on social media. How can the fans interact with us, Dave? They can go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you'll find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. On Twitter, he's at Salyer Steve, and I'm at the Real ID Dave. Please review and rate us on, on iTunes and all other platforms you're listening to us on, as good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of Star Trek Discovery podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and we hope you're enjoying our podcast, and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. The fourth episode is on November 5th, my wife's birthday, and is titled Forget Me Not. So until then, remember, this is Chief Engineer Steve. We will not attack Earth. Starfleet doesn't fire first. And this is Redshirt Dave. Cake is eternal. Just ask my waistline. <laughs>